We're going to turn in our Bibles tonight to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. We want to read at verse 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by His grace, to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for allowing us to have another opportunity tonight to look at these uh, verses, verses that contain such treasure and direct us to other places where there is such treasure. And we pray that You might help us to see that treasure tonight that Your Spirit would be our teacher. We thank You for each one who has come. And we pray Your blessings upon them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Tonight we're continuing with our studies in the book of Galatians. And this evening, for a few minutes, we want to touch on one other point that we didn't have time to get to in our last message. In that message on Sunday night, we looked at Paul's conversion as he talks about it here, particularly what he said in verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, we talked about how easy it is to read this 15th verse and think that because Paul is such a towering figure in the New Testament, that somehow he is different, that somehow he's a special case, a special person that God separated from his mother's womb and called by his grace. But we saw that that's not the case at all. The way God dealt with Paul is the way that he deals with every person who comes into this world. And so we looked at each of these statements in verse 15. First of all, Paul says that God separated me from my mother's womb. And we saw that's true of every person that's born. And the proof we found in Psalm 139. The psalm of the miracle of the creation of a child by God. And everything that we read there is true, uh, not just of David, but of every child that has ever been conceived. And it's like that because there is no respect of persons with God. The founders of this nation understood that truth. They understood the truth of Psalm 139 and its application to every person 
because of what they said in the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. All men are created equal. And the verse that we looked at in Psalm 139 was verse 13, where David says, For thou hast possessed my reins. The reins uh, symbolize our inward thoughts and emotions, our feelings. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. And we talked about this word covered. We talked about how it means to hedge. Uh, It means to fence about. It means to shut in. And all of those words, hedge and fence about and to, to shut something in, describe what we do to separate something. And so what David is telling us of every human being is that God has covered, God has hedged and fenced about, God has separated us in our mother's womb. Exactly the same way He did the Apostle Paul. And again, it's like that because there is no respect to persons with God. It's a very important verse to keep in mind. Then we looked at Paul's second statement here in verse 15, that God called me by His grace. That's true of every person. We looked at Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All men. God has separated you and me and every person from our mother's womb and called us by His grace because there is no respect of persons with God. He separated you and me and every person from our mother's womb and called us by His grace because God hath not appointed us to wrath. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is not a special case. And we saw in Acts chapter 9 that his conversion on the road to Damascus further demonstrates this. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, we read that as Paul journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. That's not something that just happened to the Apostle Paul. It happens when God reveals Himself to every lost person. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And God's message to Saul in Acts chapter 9 is God's message to every person. It's a personal message. It's an individual message. It has our name on it. God calls Saul's name twice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? The Lord calls our names personally and individually. 
And he calls more than once. I think it's significant that he repeats Saul's name twice. Saul, Saul. It's a demonstration to me of his love and his mercy. It's a demonstration of the truth to you and me as we read it that he's long suffering. He's long suffering to usward. How long has he stood at your heart's door and called your name? He's long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? That question, why persecutest thou me, is to bring before our minds the truth of Psalm 51 and verse 4. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Our sin is against the God of glory. It's Jesus that we persecute as we kick against the pricks, the stings, the goads of the Spirit of God as He reproves us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. It is Jesus that we persecute as we strike with the heel. That's what the word kick means. It's Jesus that we persecute as we turn our backs and as we dig in our heels and do just exactly what Isaiah says we would do. We hide, as it were, our faces from Him. And so what we see in Saul is our own heart. What we see in Saul is our own rebellion. What we see in Saul is God dealing with him as He deals with every man. And what we see in Saul's salvation is what we see in our own salvation. When we come to God the way that Paul did in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? When we come to the Lord trembling and astonished, when we come with a broken spirit, with a broken and a contrite heart that God will not despise, He saves us. This is how the Apostle Paul got saved. And he's not unique. He's not a special case. It's how every person gets saved. And Paul confirms to us that he's not a special case. Look over, if you will, at 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. And um, let's read verse 15. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. This is a faithful saying. And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Verse 16. Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first 
Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering. Now notice these next words. For a pattern, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Paul says that my conversion is a pattern. He says that what happened to him happens to every person that gets saved. He's telling us, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that he's telling us what you went around your elbow to tell us. That he's not a special case. But but those other verses are important too to keep in mind. What happened to Paul completely destroys the Calvinist heresies of unconditional election and irresistible grace. Now, we've been talking about Acts chapter 9, and I'd like for us to turn back there, if you will. Acts chapter 9. There's something there that we didn't have time to mention Sunday night. And the reason that we went back through as as quickly as we could and reviewed the things that we talked about Sunday night Um, that Paul is not a special case when it comes to his salvation. Uh, We're just like him. He's a pattern to, uh, to them which should hereafter believe on the Lord Jesus to everlasting life. But what we want to see tonight that we did not have time to see Sunday night is that He's also the pattern for how we're to live the Christian life. Acts chapter 9, it ties in to what we were talking about Sunday morning in Lot's life. We talked in that message Sunday morning how the Lord's will for every believer has a what and a when and a where. The Lord's will has a what what He wants us to do. The Lord's will has a when, the timing concerning that He wants us to do what uh, His will. And the Lord's will has a where, the place where the Lord wants us to be in order to do what He wants us to do in His time. And that's true. That's true from the moment that we're saved. And that's what we want to see tonight. That's why we've uh, wanted to come to Acts chapter 9 and look at verse 6 again. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Now, we talked Sunday night that this is when Paul gets saved. He gets saved when he surrenders his heart to the Lord. And the first question that Paul asks is a question of surrender. It's like this is a dual question here. And it's like that because that wonderful verse in Colossians 2 and verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. 
We receive the Lord Jesus by surrendering our heart to Him. And that's exactly how we're to live the Christian life. This is taking place right at the moment of Paul's conversion. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul understood and we should understand. The Lord didn't save us to go our own way. He didn't save us so that we can go off and live the way we want to live and do what we want to do. He saved us so that we'll ask that question. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And when we ask the Lord that question in sincerity, He'll answer and show us His will. And He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And notice the Lord's answer. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go. That's when, isn't it? The Lord's will has a what? It has a where? It has a when. So Paul says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And, and the first thing the Lord tells him is the when. Arise and go. That's the when of the Lord's will for Saul's life. Arise and go. That's right now. You know, one of the mistakes that we make concerning the when of the Lord's will is what we really would like to have is the Lord's will laid out for us. Really, for the rest of our lives. We want our lives as much as we possibly can to be planned out. Kent said something in a message many years ago. I've never forgotten it. He said that a life that is laid out and planned down to the very time in which events are going to take place is an indication of a life that is not being lived in the will of God. My sister-in-law and my brother, she had the when of their lives all planned out. She was working while David was going to school. He was working part-time as he could. But she told my mother and daddy one day, and I remember it well because it irritated my daddy to no end. She said, the day that David graduates from high, uh, high school, college, I'm going to quit my job. Doesn't matter if David hasn't, she didn't say this, doesn't matter if David doesn't have a job yet, I'm quitting my job. And we're going to have two children. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. The day that David was handed his diploma, she handed in her resignation. Didn't matter that David didn't have a job yet. That's what she said she was going to do. That was her plan. And she was going to execute her plan. Well, I'm guilty of the same thing. I want to know and plan out my life. I, I, I want to know the when of the Lord's will 
as much as I can. But folks, the when of the Lord's will is made up of these three words, arise and go. Arise and go. You know what? how much time frame that covers? It can cover the next few moments. The Lord told us to arise and go to church tonight, didn't He? Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. So we're here. What, what's, what's the Lord's will after we leave here? Arise and go. That's the Lord's will for today. And tomorrow His will will be, guess what? Arise and go. And the next day, it'll be arise and go. And I'll tell you how this works. The Lord may say that every day in the very place where we are. The Lord has been telling Gail and I, and many of you, arise and go. And He's been telling us that for the last 35 and a half years. He's been telling us that for the last... 12,966 days. And where we are to arise and go is right here in Southern Pines at Calvary Memorial Church. And that's the testimony of many here. You know, we make the Lord's will so complicated. And, and again, I include myself at the top of that list. But the truth is that the Lord's will is very simple. It's as simple as these words of Paul here in verse 6. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go. So the Lord gives him the when of his will. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city. Into the city. That's the where of God's will for Saul's life. And where the Lord wanted Saul to go was into the city of Damascus. So we have the when and we have the where of God's will for Saul's life. And then we see the what of God's will for Saul. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. We don't like that part of the Lord's will, do we? And it shall be told thee what thou must do. We want to tell what we are going to do. Now who was it that told Saul what he must do? A man by the name of Ananias and what did Ananias tell Saul? Well, he told him a number of things. He told him that, I believe, he's a chosen vessel to the Lord to bear the Lord's name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He told him that he was to be baptized he told him that he was to eat meat. Paul had been without sight for three days and he didn't eat anything or drink anything. He told him that he was to eat. And he told him that he was to stay with the disciples there in Damascus for a certain days. I believe it was a few days. I believe that's what Ananias did. And the fact, he told 
Paul what he was to do. And the fact that it was Ananias who the Lord sent to Paul is most instructive. And it's instructive because of something that we talk about a good deal. And that's the meaning of names here in the Bible. The meaning of names here in the Word of God uh, have a bearing and they help to explain the message. It's, it's interesting to look at the meaning of the name Ananias. His name means whom Jehovah has graciously given. Whom Jehovah has graciously given. When I read that, I just about leaped out of my chair. Ananias was the one who was going to tell Saul what he must do in answer to his question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I want you to think about something. God has given us an Ananias. He has given us an Ananias who will answer our question, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Answer our question with the when of his will and the where of his will and the what of his will. And he whom Jehovah has graciously given to his people is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Keep your place here and look back. And I want you to hold your place in Acts 9 where we can look back and forth a little bit. But look back at John chapter 14. John chapter 14. And look at verse 16. John chapter 14 and verse 16. The Lord Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but ye know Him. For He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now look over at chapter 16. John chapter 16. And let's read at verse 12. The Lord Jesus says, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. How be it, when He the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. Ananias did not speak of himself. If you can look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 17, we read, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Ananias did not speak of himself. There's no mention here that Ananias even told Saul his name. Did he? He, 
he in all likelihood did, but it's not in the record. It's not in the record. And, and it's an example of this one whom Jehovah has graciously given. He will not speak of himself. Ananias is doing exactly what the Lord Jesus said the Holy Spirit will do. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Look at verse 15 here in Acts chapter 9. Well, I'm sorry. Um, look, at, look at verse 13 again in John chapter 16, if you're still there. Howbeit, when he the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. And so, that's exactly what Ananias does. The Holy Spirit is He whom Jehovah has graciously given to His people, who will tell thee what thou must do. So here we see the will of God for Paul's life. The what and the when and the where. And we see it from the moment that Paul is saved. From the moment that he's saved. Look at, um, look at Acts chapter 9. And look at verse um, ten. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. He said, "Behold, I am here, Lord." And the Lord said unto him, "Arise and go into." into the street which is called Straight and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. And then, you know, Ananias plays back to the Lord as if the Lord didn't know about Saul's background and what he's done to the saints at Jerusalem and, and how he has authority there in Damascus to uh, take into custody all that call on the Lord's name. But look at verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my sake. Ananias isn't speaking of himself. He's repeating what the Lord has told him. Just exactly what we read about what we read about the Spirit of God. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. What was to come in Paul's life? What was to come in Paul's life? He was to bear the Lord's name before Gentiles and kings and the nation of Israel, but he was to suffer great things for the name of the Lord. And listen. The Spirit of God does the same thing for you and I. He tells us things to come. Here it is. This book. This is what's to come. And He doesn't speak of Himself. 
Whatsoever he shall hear, and this is what he's heard, and he's heard it because he inspired it. That shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. So here's the will of God for Paul's life. The what, the when, the where. From the moment that he was saved. And again, the message tonight is the same as the message Sunday night. In salvation, Paul is not some special case. In living the Christian life, he's not a special case. He is the pattern. 1 Timothy 1.16, How be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to everlasting life. And the pattern is right here. Every day, every day we ask the Lord, Lord, what wilt Thou have me to do? If we ask the Lord that question in sincerity, in truth, the Lord will say, Arise and go. He'll tell you when. Arise and go. The Lord will say, Arise and go into. Where? He'll give you the where. Arise and go into the workplace. Wherever that is. Whatever it is. Or maybe He'll say, Arise and go into the Christian school classroom, or lunchroom, or office, or maintenance department. Or maybe He'll say, Arise and go into the home and be a keeper there. But He will say, Arise and go into where I want you to go. And then He'll tell us what? He'll tell us what? It shall be told thee what thou must do. How's that going to happen? It's going to happen by our Ananias. It's going to happen by the one whom Jehovah has graciously given. The question tonight, how are we doing? How are we doing? Are we living according to the pattern of the will of God? We have all that we need. According as His divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We have His Word. We have our Ananias, the Spirit of God living in us. The one whom Jehovah has graciously given to tell thee what thou must do. The question is, are we willing to live by that pattern? Or are we going to go and do our own will and live by our own pattern? Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You that we've had the opportunity tonight to look at some of these thoughts again. And we pray that You would take them and use them in our hearts. And we ask it in Jesus' name. 